0: But somewhere along the way, I came up on this mountain, and I was like, "Uh, oh, yep, yeah, that's a mountain. And then I realized the, the truth that I probably could have told the dude the day before, but I didn't know because I didn't push myself beyond my limit. And the thing that I learned is that you always have to have a positive mindset, because if you don't have that positive mindset, everything's going to be difficult. Everything is going to be a challenge because if I if I started griping and complaining about the mountain I never would have I barely would have got over that one and then I would probably Been stuck at the next several mountains that I didn't even know were there beyond the first one Just keep your head down and just keep plugging away and eventually you'll get it done or you'll you'll get to your destination But you got to have a positive mindset about it
1: to the maximum enthusiasm podcast, the exploration of life fully optimized with Megan Hoffman. Hey maximum enthusiasm listeners, welcome back. We are so excited to have a new sponsor joining us on the show. It is C3 Bike Shop. They have two locations here in the Colorado Front Range, one located in Golden on South Golden Road and one located in Denver on Tejon Street. Wade is the owner. He's an amazing dude. I've known him for over 10 years. Our history began together back when he worked at Treads in Lakewood. He went on to start his own store, and he now owns two locations. They are a Cannondale dealer, among other brands. I recently picked up my first e-bike from C3. It's a Stromer, which is a Swiss brand uh, made by the folks over at um, BMC, essentially. Uh, Wade is just an incredible bike expert. When it comes to really building a custom bike, especially if you have certain hubs, certain spokes, certain rims, certain build. Um, We were talking the other day about oval chain rings. We were getting all geeked out about how we were going to build up a new road bike for me. And this is really the place to go if you want to have that kind of detail and attention paid to your ride. Wade and his crew are offering our listeners 10% off if you go into either location and you mention my name, the last name Hotman or the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast. So definitely pay Wade a visit. Be sure to say hello to Brandon down at the Tehone Street as well as our good friend Lauda as well. And if you meet Wade at either location, be sure to give him a big hug for us. He is one of those outstanding people who frankly just makes the world a better place and so does his bike shop. So do us a favor, stop in to C3, make them your local bike shop and tell them you heard about them on the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the Maximum Enthusiasm podcast. Really appreciate you continuing to tune in and support the show. And hopefully you are supporting some of our show sponsors. This continues to be a Project of love, and it brings me so much enjoyment, and um, it's really fun for me to help tell the story of these people that I am blessed to know and um, whose paths I am so fortunate to cross. Uh, it is uh, early June, 2020, and lots and lots of things are going on in our world right now. And I just want to share a revelation that I had earlier today. I had about an hour between things this late afternoon evening. And I decided to just sit down and um, do a longer meditation. I use an app called Aptiv, A-A-P-T-I-V, and I searched for a meditation that was roughly 30 minutes. I really like the guided meditations. I like having someone helping me with uh, what nostril to breathe in or how much to count or how to breathe or how to hold my breath or something to think about. I really appreciate the, the guided aspect of it. Anyway, as I started my meditation this evening, my dog, Ramsey, I heard her crawl out of the closet where she's been laying on top of my snow boots, and she saddled up next to me and she leaned against my leg as I started the meditation, and I for the first time realized that since, really since COVID started up back in mid-March, she suddenly began crawling into this um, coat closet in my laundry room, which is a, she tucks herself back in the corner, and as I said, she's basically squishing herself up against my snow boots and shoes in the back of the closet, and she's been hanging out in there quite a bit for the last few months. She's not a puppy, she's nine years old, and this is a brand new habit, which is really telling, I think, because you really don't typically teach new tricks to old dogs, contrary to this expression. This was something that she'd picked up completely on her own, and I've just noticed it becoming more and more and more frequent. It, it was just during thunderstorms. It was just on certain occasions. Now it's pretty much all the time that she's been putting herself in the closet. And then when she crawled out tonight and she laid next to me while I was meditating for the first time, I realized that she has been picking up on my stress, my anxieties, my apprehensions. I suspect from where she stands, the mood in our house has definitely changed and gravitated towards a more melancholic or um, distraught state of being since this all started back in March, which has now been several months. And then over the last few weeks, things have really ramped up again with the protests nationwide and just the uncertainties of, um, you know, so much good happening and at the same time so much unrest so much unnecessary suffering. And um, really, I think just the word is um, just anxiety, just generally, I think she's been picking up on it. And I think she's been putting herself in the closet because it feels safe because she can crawl in the corner and she can protect herself. And then when I sit down to meditate, and I start taking deep breaths, and I drop in, she's drawn to that. And she wants to come make contact with me and lay against my leg while I'm meditating. And so That was a huge aha moment for me tonight, and I am vowing to do more of that and to be better that way so that I can bring more of my better into the world. And so I would just make this pitch that if you've not been meditating or if you've done it sporadically or if you've said to yourself you really wanted to create a meditation practice in your life or to get more consistent, now is definitely the time the world needs us all meditating and trying to bring our um, anger and our frustration and our irritability and our anxiety down a notch so that we can process things with a clearer mind. Um, I'll also share that a book that I've been reading for the last few weeks, it's called Together by Dr. Vivek um, Murthy. He was our Surgeon General a few years back, and he did this massive study and nationwide tour about how loneliness is really public health concern. And he says that loneliness is a root cause and contributor to many of the epidemics sweeping the world today from alcohol and drug addiction to violence to depression and anxiety. He argues that it is affecting not only our health, but how our children experience school, how we perform in the workplace, and the sense of division and polarization in our society. And interestingly, at the center of our loneliness is our innate desire to connect. We are Evolved to be part of community and to share life experiences, and the reason I picked this book up was because I um, I uh, binged listened to Brené Brown's podcast episodes a few weeks back, and he was one of her guests, and I found the episode incredibly compelling. I highly recommend it, and I thought that the topic was very very timely in light of the COVID quarantine that took place for the better part of a few months. For most of us, and I personally have really come face to face with how the lack of uh, social connection and the isolation have impacted me, and how desirous I am now to be around people and to be in community and be in communion with friends and loved ones and to be around other humans um, more than I have ever really realized or craved it. So I highly recommend the book, and I think it really makes some compelling arguments for why it's important for us to connect as a society and certainly as um, we see a lot of division occurring right now in our country, it's really incredible to think that we might be able to just connect with those around us and uh, widen and expand our tables to include more people and that that might really help us with our overall state of health and wellness. So um, with that, speaking of health and wellness... The guest of this episode, Corey the Courier, is incredible. Uh, There's really nothing this guy has not done on a bike. I am so impressed by him and the varied ways that he has involved the bike in his life. He uh, earned a living for many, many years working as a bike messenger, which I just find so fascinating. He did that in both Philly and New York. He has done these incredible Bike adventures, not the least of which was riding across the country in like 50 days or something really tough sounding. Uh, I met Corey two different times. The first was at Gravel Worlds in 2015, and then I really specifically recall when we were riding next to one another in the 2018 Dirty Kansas. It was kind of the first serious uphill slog of the race, I don't know, 30, 40 miles in. I was on a single speed. And I'm aware of this guy chugging up a hill next to me and his body language is such that it's clear that he's also riding on a single speed. And we sort of talk and commiserate about the fact that we're both stupidly riding these one geared bikes. And then I realize that he's actually on a, he's on a fixie, a fixed gear, which means that not only does it have just the one gear, but that he does not have a free wheel. So he cannot coast. So he is always pushing on the pedals, whether he's using them to accelerate the bike, or he's using them to decelerate the bike, which is incredible. Insane. Can't even imagine how he kept his feet connected to the pedals on some of the downhills. Um, just an overall badass. And, um, and then I saw him again last summer at gravel worlds. And he talks about a really frustrating experience that he had basically right on the start line with, uh, some equipment, but he's just, a. um, A beacon of energy and truly a lighthouse in the sport, not just because of all that he does and all that he epitomizes, but also he is actively working on ways to improve diversity in cycling. And his belief is that it comes down to making it more financially accessible to more people. So how he does that is he promotes sort of grassroots events where they are very low cost to to participate or free very low stress, very uh, welcoming, and um, they're just really intended to say, hey, is this something that might interest you? If so, come out and give it a shot. The stakes are low. It's a very supportive environment. And I completely agree that that is how we grow the sport, um, whether it be bringing more women into the sport in general by by offering fewer um, barriers in terms of just intimidation and um, having races specifically for women alone, whether it be from a diversity standpoint where we have representation of all types of cyclists taking part in these events, and we show that it is welcome um, to everyone, welcoming to everyone. And he's doing that. And he's also really active in trying to raise money for his local YMCA to help the youth in his community. So he's going to be tackling an Everesting challenge here in the next week or so, where he'll be raising money for his local YMCA. We've got links to that on the podcast um, episode page, as well as on the website. He's just a total badass, but as you can hear in in his voice, he's just one of the most upbeat, energetic humans that I've ever encountered. And he talks about how important it is to stay positive, whether that's in the context of a long, grueling bike ride or race, or whether that's in the context of this life race that we're all in um and i really appreciate that insight that he offers that it really is an intentional mindset that he has adopted and it's a choice to stay positive so um anyway i really hope that you'll enjoy this one i think Corey is just fantastic i hope you'll follow him on instagram and check out some of the links that we post including this everesting challenge and um if you live out in the New York area, definitely look him up and try to take part in something that he's got going on because I promise you, you'll have an absolute blast. So thanks again for tuning in and uh, enjoy this one with Corey, the courier. So it was 2018 and I was at Dirty Kansas on a single speed, my first time ever riding single speed for that long. And I remember... 30 or 40 miles into Dirty Cans, I think. It was one of the first really steady, pretty steep climbs. Uh, I look over and I see another guy kind of chugging up the hill the same way that I am, which is to say we ride differently when we have this one gear. And you and I exchanged some words. I can't remember what. It was basically like, oh, man, check you out. And you were like, yeah, check you out on your single speed. And then I realized you were on a fixie. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been in awe of you ever since. Can I just be completely candid?
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Uh, Corey, Corey the Courier, welcome to the Maximum Enthusiasm Podcast.
0: Thank you. It's it's great to be here.
1: Do you remember that moment? I sure do.
0: No, I, I think the first time I remember meeting you was at Gravel Worlds in Lincoln, Nebraska. A in, of years ago. Maybe, okay. Okay. maybe 17. Okay. It was a it was a year that you won.
1: Oh, that would have been twenty. Um, oh my gosh, when would that have been? Twenty fifteen. I was on a spot belt drive single speed.
0: Yeah, yeah. We were. I think yeah. we came, we went into the, to the to last checkpoint, and um, yeah, it was my first time going to Gravel Worlds, and I was on a I think I was on a bike with gears, and then <laughs> somebody at the final checkpoint said that whoever won for the overall had just won and it was probably another 20 miles to the finish. And I was just like, ah, you know what? I might as well just take my time. And you were kind of being stealthy and saying like, okay, well, don't tell any, any women that come through that I've, I've had. <laughs> and I was like, well, all right, go ahead, do your thing. And then turn out you won the whole thing. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> I was impressed.
1: No, well, no, just to clarify, I did not win the whole thing. I won the single speed for women,
0: but uh,
1: Rebecca Rush won the Women's Open that year, which was pretty rad. But
0: but the single speed, you you still got up on the podium that year. Yes,
1: yes, yes. Oh, how funny. So we both have different recollections of meeting one another out on the race courses, and is that not one of the best parts ever about bike racing?
0: (laughs) Yeah, like some things that you think are awesome, you're just like, ah, whatever, it's just another day, but everybody else is just going gaga like wow that was awesome
1: i seriously can't believe you did dirty Kanza on a fixie i mean for our listeners who don't know much about cycling single speed you just have one gear but you can still coast and you have a free wheel a free hub in the back a fixie is where the the gear and the chain and the wheel are all connected so there's no coasting if you're Correct, going downhill, you right. you have to keep your feet on top of the pedals you have to stay on top of the gear i still don't know how you did DK on a fixie. How did that day go for you
0: in the latter hours? Uh, that was a tough year because along the way, on the way to the event, uh, someone rear ended my friend's minivan with our bikes on the back. And oh, no. the day before the event, I had to go to the local bike shop, disassemble my old wheel and reassemble and like just build up a wheel from scratch while everybody else is doing their, you know, shakeout ride to get their right, legs right. ready, I'm, I was sitting in the bike shop, you know, lacing up hubs and rim.
1: Oh and the, the bike
0: shop guys, were, they were overwhelmed with, with all the people coming into town needing Everything. To their bike. And they're like, uh, you know, like a wheel build is something that's, that's not, they're like, no, we don't have time for that. I'm like, I can do it myself. And the the funny part was they were like, well, you know, after seeing me do that, they were like, well, if you want a job, like, <laughs> I'm hired. sure, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, it was. It was sure. I think I I got two thirds of the or three quarters of the way through, and 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 had to bag it because I didn't have the yeah. big enough gear.
1: I'm sorry to hear that. And I know I saw you again more recently, and now I can't put my finger on it, but I saw you at a race where you ended up having to ride a loner bike with gears because something had happened to your bike. Where was that?
0: Oh, uh, that was that was another gravel world. I was uh, I was, was determined to to win that race, and I did, I I did a uh, bike packing from New York. I was doing yeah,
1: that's right
0: two hundred miles a day with a fixed gear to meet up with uh, my sponsor at Abus in Chicago, and then they drove me to Lincoln, Nebraska, and then I was going to race. But the morning of the race, the bolt that held my rear wheel in place stripped out and wouldn't stay in oh. the frame. I was in probably the best fitness of my entire life because I really oh. wanted to win, and uh, my bike just wouldn't go anywhere. And I am like, oh, no. No. And uh and the and the and the guy Big Dave from from Lauf, he's a he's a sweetheart. Um, he's like, oh, do you wanna do you wanna borrow one of our um our demo bikes? And I'm like, Well, I'm here, yeah, sure. So then I just jumped on the bike and drilled it as hard as I could. But by this time the entire field had been off and away for half an hour. so so I rode the entire 150 miles solo
1: oh man
0: and finished (laughs) there there, I think there were 260 something people that raced and I placed 130 like dead middle of the field
1: that had to be so disappointing for you on so many levels not the least of which was that you were forced to
0: ride a bike with gears But every time I came into a checkpoint, they're like, "Well, they're like, wow, this guy's coming in pretty hot." And I'm like, "How many people are ahead of me?" They're like, "All of them." Like, you
1: know, <laughs> all of them, everyone
0: <laughs> took off like a rocket. Oh, and then man. I think I think towards the last checkpoint, people are like, "Wait, you started a half hour after us?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm I'm in a hurry. I got to catch up to some." I other gotta people. go. <laughs> oh, God. Eventually, like in my head, I was I was just saying that I I I need to pass two hundred people in order to have a good wow. ride. Got, you know again,
1: got... for our listeners that don't know anything about cycling, it's virtually unheard of to grab a strange bike and ride it for one hundred and fifty miles like your life depends on it. I mean, that is just something that you don't do,
0: <laughs> yeah, the uh, the the guy from dave from from Lauf, yeah. we just switched out the pedals and raised a seat to a comfortable level, and then I just left. so there was there was no warm up. there's no getting used to it. It was just. Get on it and go and and make it happen. Dude, you are a badass, my friend. I mean, I
1: I knew you're I knew you're a badass just from watching you online. I follow you on Instagram and I followed your your cycling endeavors for quite some time now. But then when I hear the even more detailed backstory to some of these experiences, I'm just so in awe of your tenacity. I mean, you you are made of grit, aren't you?
0: <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Something
1: like that. <laughs> Um, okay. So what's the story? I read somewhere online that you went to college for a, a while and then you left to be a bike messenger. Is that true?
0: Yes. I went to college for two years in Philadelphia for interior design. And, uh, a few, a few time, to- few friends at the time who are architects were just telling me that the, the industry was slow and for me to get out. So I decided that I would take a break and, do something else for a while. But on the side, I had fallen in love with mountain biking. So somehow I decided to make the biking work as a way of income. And there was an added newspaper for a bicycle messenger. I applied and then the rest was history, so to speak, because I've never left.
1: Well, I want to back up before we go forward, because the part of the love affair with the bike that I'm always most interested in hearing for people is how it started. So you said you had fallen in love with mountain biking. Did that come about from like a collegiate mountain biking team or what happened there?
0: No, no, I, uh, I didn't even, I didn't even get serious about biking until college. I purchased a bicycle as a means of commuting back and forth to school, and then the the summer of the freshman year I had the had all the time in the world to just ride my bike, so I would go out and I was still living with with my mom so I would ride out to this park maybe five or six miles away from my mom's house and I'd go and I'd thrash around and get muddy and dirty and I'd come back and it was it was awesome because I lived in a city and everything was all clean and and tidy, so to speak, but then you go out in the woods and there's mud and there's trees and animals and stuff and as a kid it was it was kind of awesome, so I'd come back and every and I just did that every day, just ride around and but but I had the fitness from before because I used to uh I used to be a runner okay in high school but uh but this was the same level of enthusiasm that I got from running transferred over immediately into cycling
1: and you strike me as someone who was always kind of um, a natural athlete I mean you just seem incredibly coordinated and you've always been fit from when I've known you and I mean were you just always a super active healthy fit young man I mean even since your childhood
0: Uh, I want to say it started in high school but it wasn't competitive driven uh i I wasn't on any team sports i think the one time i was on a team sport was freshman year of high school i was on the cross country and then after that for the remainder of high school i just did fitness stuff on my own like getting up at like five o'clock in the morning running about seven miles and then eating breakfast and then going to school wow and where did some of that come from? I mean, did, was this something that was in
1: your family? Was this something that was in your household, or were you primarily doing these things on your own because you found them interesting all by yourself?
0: Yeah, it was. It was just independent thinking on my own. Um, everybody else in my family they they love to eat as as all people from Philadelphia do, the land of cheesesteaks and tasty cakes. <laughs> so everyone in my family was was a bit surprised, like what, like how did where did you get this? Uh, Where'd you get this like Yeah like urge to go so hard with the fitness thing? But I just I guess I got the uh the adrenaline and endorphins going and it was it was what I liked, so I just stayed with it.
1: That has to be challenging sometimes when you don't have other people in your friend or family circles who are doing what you're doing and um sounds like a bit like you were kind of striking out on your own with some of these fitness endeavors.
0: Yeah, I, I like look like looking back. I, I'm I'm kind of surprised too because uh, in those high school years when I would get up at the crack of dawn and go running, I I remember some some of the times I would still go running when it was freezing temperatures, like twenty thirty degrees, and I'd still be out there running, like nice seven miles a day. Wow. And, and I'm and like now if somebody asked me to do that, I'd I just kind of like, <laughs> eh, I don't I, I I think I'll wait a little bit.
1: That is such impressive dedication, though, for a high school student who's not being prodded by a coach or someone telling him he has to do that. But it was driven purely out of your own interest and desire to get up and go do that. I mean, now that you've grown up and you've gotten to know yourself more, what, where do you think that truly, deeply comes from within you? What, What's driving that?
0: Uh, I still don't know. I mean, like, it's it's more a, like a sense of an adventure and exploration, like, to see what's out there, what I can do, and then just push the boundaries of my own limits as far gotcha. as, like, what I've done before and what I can do in the future.
1: Kind of always pushing those new boundaries and new challenges, it sounds like. Yes. Well, and on that note, as I was reading more about some of your other cycling feats, uh, so you didn't just go win single speed championships you won them on a fixed gear is that right
0: yes the <laughs> old thing with the fixed gear is that um there there's like a there's a bike messenger race in new york that's called monster track and it's been going on now for almost 20 years where all the guys and, and ladies they all show up with a track bike oh uh, no brakes and they, oh, they right a scavenger hunt all around the city um i've never taken i've never done the race um because uh before i moved to new york i lived in philly and right before i was going to do the race i almost got hit by a box truck
1: oh boy I'm
0: i'm like ah okay i'm not doing monster track and then i moved to new york i'm like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna win monster track and then a week before i fell on the williamsburg bridge and Oh no. Spraining my ankle. So I'm like, oh, "Alright, that's a sign. Two consecutive years in a row I've had like a catastrophic accident right before Monster Track. Never doing it."
1: Okay.
0: But, but still, it is like it is the Super Bowl of bike messenger events, and everybody here in New York is gaga over uh track bikes um and fixed gear stuff. There is like everybody knows about the Red Hook Crit stuff. Oh that's yeah.
1: Here.
0: That's here in Brooklyn too, so Everything fixed gear is, you know, if it's if it's not a fixed gear, like people don't want to hear about it, like eh, right, whatever. right. But so I go out and I'm like, yeah, I've I've done this like this this it, like the the gravel event. I've done this stuff, and they're like, oh, but you you, you shift and 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 you have brakes, like oh. Yeah. oh cool. <laughs>
1: they don't find that very interesting.
0: <laughs> no, like not even single speed. Like oh, you, but you coast. Oh yeah, yeah so what so yes I I decided to uh to just like up the ante and go fixed I mean before before I I got into like fixed with the gravel stuff I was doing fixed gear off-road so I was able to make that transition pretty easily but then once I moved up here I went um like full bore into riding fixed off-road and then eventually just taking the brakes off and just going, um, you know, devil may care, like see what happens and then just go for it.
1: And so, you know, as someone who's only just briefly visited New York a few times and have watched movies like premium rush with uh, Gordon Levitt or whatever that guy's name is the bike messenger. I mean, obviously bike messenger culture is ingrained in New York City is that why you think so many people are so into the
0: fixie mentality? Uh, partially people like it because of that. The other thing is uh, it's it's easier to maintain. Um like people that ride as oh. a bike master usually don't get paid a lot of money. So when you ride a fixed gear bicycle, the only thing you have to worry about is making sure you have tires, a chain sure. and um, tires chain, and that's about it. So just less upkeep and less crap on the bike to break in general. You don't have to worry about derailleurs. Yeah. You don't have to fix anything. Just jump on and go.
1: So you, you left school to become a bike messenger. And my question is, was it everything that you hoped for and more? I mean, it sure looks glamorous and amazing. Is it, is it as adrenaline filled as it looks?
0: Uh, the adrenaline is definitely there. Uh, the thing is, when when I started, and I think it's still true today, is that uh, everybody worked in, on a commission where the more you deliver, the more money you make. Oh. So, so riders would take a lot of chances doing crazy stuff on the bike in traffic. And because I already had the fitness from mountain biking and, and years in high school of, of running – Like, doing the the bike stuff became easy. And then after, like, the first few weeks, I picked up on how to get through traffic um, without getting maimed. But I'm just sure. Yeah, there were accidents, but I I survived them. And so you did that for how long? Uh, Let's see. I worked for – I did that for eight years, and then I started up my own company. And, good for well, you yeah yeah because i I was just, I just like well i I was like i can i can do what everybody else can do and then there was some other guy who was doing in-house delivery for this law firm in philadelphia and i'm like well if he can do it and he's just like just an average guy like and i'm awesome i'm like why can't i do it so i went to this law firm and and i put my my bid in i'm like hey i can do all the the stuff um that that you need and and They gave me a chance and it worked out. But and for, that lasted for how long? Uh, for ten years.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah,
0: but but uh, like maybe a year into it, I I wound up hiring people to help out. Sure. So yeah, that was that was, because it was, um, it was grueling to say the least. In that I had to ride pretty much nine hours a day, full tilt, because it was it was a, a sizable law firm and uh i had to cover all of downtown philadelphia and even further out
1: how I'm many sure. miles were you doing on those days on average uh
0: i'm not sure but i want to say close to 50 miles a day at least that's incredible
1: stopping and starting on a fixie delivering and carrying
0: packages oh when i was in philadelphia at that at on that stage i was i was using gears because i had to cover a lot of distance and i see i mean i was i was really really flying at that time. Wow. Okay. So back up, you, you grew up
1: in Philly and you went to college in Philly and then you became a bike messenger in Philly.
0: When did you make your way to New York? Uh, In like towards the, towards the end of the the company after like, like eight years in like things weren't going so well. So I was looking for something different. So I moved to New York and I thought that I was going to maybe expand and start up, uh, like another branch in another city and have two companies going on at the same time. Sure. So in 2006, I moved here and I tried to get it going, but then I realized that the, the, the landscape of New York is just, is so dense and so spread out that there, there would be no way that I could do it by myself. And even if I did find like a couple other people, there still wouldn't be enough, work to that the three of us could, you know, two or three of us could survive on while doing the same thing as what I did in Philadelphia.
1: Gotcha. So, so what, what next then when you moved to New York and realized that wasn't going to be feasible, what did you do then?
0: Uh, Oddly, it is odd. I, I don't, I still don't know why I did it. So I had a house and a company in Philadelphia and then moved up here, got a job and an apartment. And, like, I guess dialed it down a little bit
1: <laughs> aren't we funny creatures? We really are funny creatures, aren't we? and um and so you started working for someone else and and then what? what did you do from a bike racing perspective? Did you uh branch out to other things? uh
0: actually, when I first moved up here, i was just i I wasn't doing the race thing at the i was uh i was in I was into bicycle polo
1: oh. Tell us
0: so, about that. Yeah. So um, in 2003, I believe it was, there was a, a scavenger hunt from – it was a like a, it was a bike race for bike messengers from San Francisco to Portland. And I did it. It took me about four days unsupported. And when I got to Portland, they had this – they had all these guys on these weird bikes playing pretty much like hockey on bikes inside of a tennis court. And I played it, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And When I got back to Philadelphia, a friend of mine, Brian Bennett, he came from like St. Louis or Chicago. He brought some wooden polo mallets, and then everybody in the Philadelphia community started playing. Um, I created a rule where if you put your foot on the ground, um, you have to tap a bell or a cone before you can touch the ball again. And that was what I was doing in the, I guess, the mid to late aughts. So when I moved to New York, I was just playing bicycle polo as opposed to doing super long endurance rides and, and racing.
1: Huh. I learned more and more about all of the things, you know, just when you think you know everything about cycling and then you and you clearly don't, you learn more. Um, yeah. And the,
0: yeah, the other thing is that when I made up, I mean, before I made up that rule, like there was a a thing where if you put your foot down, you had to do it, like a little circle before you could touch the ball again. But I was the one who implemented the idea of using a bell because I had a cowbell from a cyclocross event. Uh-huh. And then I threw, I organized a tournament called the ESPY and all the bikers in Philadelphia helped put it on. event some guys from Ohio came some guys from South Carolina showed up some guys from Ottawa came down and I had no idea that you know I put the word out that people were gonna show up but I was really surprised that people from that far away came out to this event and then um, maybe two years later there's a world bike master championship up in Toronto and then that rule spread globally because all the people From all over the world came to this bike messenger event in toronto and they saw this rule and how it changed the game and now everybody in the world plays bike polo uses the tap out rule
1: isn't that something yeah well i want to know more about this bike messenger world championship what what does that entail the the thing up in toronto
0: uh every year it moves from city to city it doesn't always stay in the same uh, country um, it's been it's been to Canada a few times, it's been to the US a few times, it's been to London, it's been to Paris, it's been to Berlin, uh, it's been to Jakarta, um, where else, it's been to Prague, it's been, to, yeah, It's I think uh, most of the, uh, most of the European countries it's, it's been in, um, it's been to Tokyo, so yeah, every year it goes with different, city around on the planet it's been to guatemala i went to that one um and it it mimics uh the work day of a bike messenger so you have to pick up a package drop off a package and in every messenger championship the organizers devise a course to make it like a maze so that you have to make a decision do i go left here and i can access these checkpoints do i go the opposite way and i have to access other checkpoints but you can only go one way on the course. And if you need to hit another checkpoint, you probably have to loop back around and do an extra lap. Oh, wow. So that sounds
1: really fun.
0: It's, it's fun, but it's also challenging because you have to be aware of what you're, you're, you're holding in your bag and where you're going and the most efficient way to drop off and pick up everything in the okay. shortest amount of time. So what's your best result at those championships? Uh, I think in Toronto at the, uh, the North American Courier Championships, I got top 10. Um, and that was on a loner bike because I, I broke my back wheel during the semifinals. Oh, wow. Um, I probably could have won if, if my bike had, had stayed together for the, oh, uh, shoot. for the semis. Shoot, shoot, shoot.
1: You know, hey, that makes me, that reminds me, you mentioned the Red Hook Crit earlier, which is the Fixie Crit in New York. Have you raced that?
0: I did it the third year, and that was the last year they had cobblestones. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the, the stuff that everyone's familiar with now is all on paved surfaces. But initially, it started out in I guess I'm going to say like late March early April because that's when uh Dave Tremble's birthday is so he wanted to make it a party celebration kind of thing for his his birthday and it started out as an underground event in Red Hook on cobblestones with, I see. with track bikes
1: unbelievable so I raced on the velodrome I'm well versed in the art of track cycling however I would never want to take a track bike With incredibly skinny, very high-pressurized tires and no brakes. I would never, ever want to race one outside of a velodrome. So I cannot even imagine. On cobblestones. And then if it rains, I can't even imagine. I can't even. Some of the pictures that have come out of those events are truly, truly epic. It's incredible. Um, Wow.
0: But then I think uh, he picked up some sponsor. It was like a big sponsor. I can't remember the name of him. But uh, but they started to sponsor the event, so he needed to get make it official and get permits. And the neighbors in Red Hook were a little bit upset because like they're like, "Oh, you're the guy that's been putting these events on and causing mayhem every night, like once you know one night a year." So they're like, "No, we're not going to like sign off so you can get these permits." Oh and no! Then, uh, so luckily, somebody from the uh the borough president's office hooked them up with the people at the 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 whatever terminal it's called and they were able to put the event on there but it was was not what i thought was ideal because i don't like um like like basically parking lot crits i'm, I'm sure. more like yep twists and turns like formula yep. stuff
1: absolutely and
0: and uh i think right away on the first lap, um, there were two crashes right in front of me and I could, I could just see like whoever was in the lead, just they just rode away like on, un, un um, unchallenged, sure. Unchallenged, cause there's carnage yeah, and behind them. And with a yeah. fixed gear thing, you're, you're not going to be able to like shift up a big gear and no. track them down it's like, oh, that's it.
1: No, it's over. Yeah, that's true. That's crazy. So got, That's
0: crazy. Yeah, so I got frustrated, and and that was the last time I did uh, the red hook crit. And then, for successive years, it, there was issues with crashes. So I, I like to to keep the skin on my 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 torso. Yeah. So, so I stayed out of it.
1: And in that respect, gravel is certainly more. Safe it's more forgiving in some ways, although the the duration of it can take quite a toll on the body, but yeah, pros and cons to long versus short and I read somewhere that you rode coast to coast in an unbelievably few number of days. Tell me what this cross country trip was about
0: the uh, the cross country trip was a promotional event for forty two below vodka, and they hired a bunch of people forty two 22 went across the country by the south, and 20 people went across the north. And we all met up in LA at the end. So wow. I was on the north route, and we we did the most climbing. Ugh, it was brutal.
1: Okay, so how many days did. Okay, wait. First of all, was this on a fixie or were you on a
0: bike with gears? I was on a bike with gears, I was, okay. on, a, I was on a hybrid.
1: All right, and um, okay, so you split up North Group, South Group, and so how many days did you spend to get from LA to the end, or you went from Philly to LA? So how long we did went that from New York
0: you? to to LA? It took oh us it took us fifty eight days because we, we average averaged about eighty miles a day.
1: Holy crap! So no days off then, no rest days?
0: There was, there was like a, a mutiny from uh, from the people on our tour on the uh, on the north route somewhere around somewhere in Nevada and then we had a day off we got to we got to Reno but we pretty much rode every single day and because I was so driven I refused they had a they had a support vehicle that if someone had a mechanical or they got sick they could jump in a van. Sure. And I I was just I'm not getting in a van, nope riding nope. every day. So they were just like, dude, like, what the, just drilling it every day, making it into a race.
1: Wow. 58 days. That's
0: incredible. 58 days. And then, and then the the sick part was that, um, you know, everybody gotten used to me, you know, just drilling it and just like, yeah, I was the first one to get to the campsite today. And I had this, uh, and like, uh, this custom embroidered bag from Reload. Uh, that says, I must break you. It's uh, in the fashion of the, the movie Rocky. So, whenever I pull up to the support van at the end of the day, they're like, Oh, which one's yours? I'm like, Yeah, the one that says, I must break you. And they're like, Oh, oh my
1: God, that's so good. Uh, I love everything about that. So, okay, so when you're just drilling it, did you get to take in any of the sights and have fun, or were you just full gas the whole time?
0: gas the whole time oh my goodness everybody had their role to play i was that guy that was just not, gonna, not stop gonna look around
1: <laughs> no taking photos no smelling the roses Corey just was chewing on his stem the whole time just drilling it but all
0: right the, but the, the 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 but the benefit of that as we got across the midwest um it just happened to Every day, somewhere around like two, three o'clock in the afternoon, there'd be like a hailstorm or some kind of rainstorm, and everybody who stopped off and went to a local restaurant, or they stopped and saw some sightseeing stuff and took some photos, they They would always, yeah, they always get stuck in the rain. And I'm like, you uh know what? That's your fault. I could have told you if you kept (laughs) up with me, like none of this would have happened. (laughs) But I had to. (laughs) <laughs> I had to lay off of that though, because uh, a bunch of people they 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 got uh, they got caught on the mountain, uh, oh. at the Continental Divide, um, going from Denver to Fraser. And yeah, that 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 kind of spoiled a bunch of people's moods. Oh but, boy! Uh, but yeah, I remember when I got to the top of Berthoud Pass, I could see an electrical storm off in the distance, and I'm like, oh, that doesn't look good. Bombed down the mountain, got to the hostel, took a shower, and I was good. Everyone else had to wait in Denver until the local bike shops opened up so they can get repairs done. So oh. they had they had like another hour or so to wait before they can get on the, the road by the time they got to the mountain. And, of course, because they're not as fast as me, it's taking them a lot longer. So they're spread out all across this mountain trying to come up. Oh, man. And It wasn't a rainstorm like like uh, Missouri or Nebraska. It was hail. Oh no. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: Needless to say, I bet that didn't make for a very fun day for most of those folks. Yeah. So I
0: had to I had to lay off of the like I'm I'm winning I'm I'm beating everybody to the. (laughs) the Had to be a little
1: more mellow that day. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I'm just like all right. Like backpedal a little bit.
1: All right. Well, that raises a great question that I would love to ask you. And maybe it's because of the athlete in you, or just this this tenacity that we mentioned earlier. But you seem to have a really, really healthy sense of self confidence. And um, and I read somewhere too that at one point you actually thought of yourself as being a bit of a jerk, um, which I haven't seen that in you. But maybe you were when you were younger. I don't know. But where does well, this where does this confidence come from on the bike? I mean, it's it's inspiring. Where do you get that?
0: Uh, not, not like a jerk isn't mean to people, but maybe kind of cocky. Okay. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's okay. it. Cause I would, I would, I would do some bike events in Philadelphia and then some of the guys like, oh, really, do you have to do that? Like, don't even start, Corey. Just like lay off. And I'm like, oh, yeah, but I won. So yeah. So there, <laughs> and it just, and it was like, Ugh. yeah, so there was, there was a bunch of back and forth with that, but okay. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know where it came from. But
1: Are you still that way or have you just has some of that mellowed out? Do you enjoy the journey more now or is it still about
0: the win? Um, if I think the wind is gonna be there, I'll get really quiet before the event and then I'll gloat afterwards. Okay, and, but I'll but I'll I'll bury myself in the middle of it to like to get to the finish get line. To it.
1: What is on your horizon then talking about events since most things have been canceled. I know you're out in New York. You mentioned earlier that you've hunkered down and stayed pretty close to home just to stay healthy and maybe given yourself a little reprieve from the bike. What do you, what do you see in the future for you?
0: Well, um, it's funny you say that. So 2015 I went to, victoria bc up in canada for the single speed cyclocross world championships and i did it with a fixed gear <laughs> um, adam craig wound up winning the overall so i was like oh i guess that's that so i jumped on the plane went back to new york and as i was getting my luggage off the carousel i saw this thing on instagram that said like oh you got tagged in a photo and it was the organizers that said like yeah you're 2015 fixed gear cyclocross world champion Corey Hilliard. And I was like, oh what? Wait, I'm a world champion? I didn't even know. And you know, and oh, no. missed, missed the whole yeah, missed all of it. I was in New York missed by the this
1: awards. Time. Oh no.
0: Yeah. But I, like according to the rules, like you have to uh ride a bike with one gear, and if you win, you gotta get a tattoo.
1: Yes, so that's
0: right. I got my buddy um Mikey Quack quacking boss to um to put a tattoo on my arm and send it into the organizers and i'm like yeah I'm, I'm part of the part of the team now like world champ and they're like all right you yeah, know fair enough and uh so i got back here and i was you know doing my, my thing like yeah i'm gloating I'm like yeah i won like i'm the fixed girl world champion and a friend of mine was like yes yeah, so what <laughs> and i like <laughs> Punch me in the gut, you know, like oh. cycling is hard. It is like you have to bury yourself just to even get on the podium to, to even finish an event. And I'm like, I'm the world champion. And guys like, Yeah. So what? Who cares? Like, what does that mean? What does it do for me? So I was like, oh, oh, so then the following year, I decided to use my notoriety from that to put on a charity event called Ride for the Future. And that first year in 2016, I rode a track bike from Richmond, Virginia to Boston, and every day I would start off at a different YMCA and take a picture and then ride off. And then the, the fundraiser was to raise um, money for youth activities so kids could do after school programs, summer camp, and like the swimming team and stuff like that. Oh, so, nice. So that's what I so that's been my, my annual thing every year. But after the first year I realized that, you know, it was it was just me because nobody could afford to take off a week to ride up the coast and nobody could really keep up with me and do like a hundred miles a day from city to city to city. So I decided to make it a, a group ride from the Brooklyn Y M C A where I'm a member down to Coney Island, which is about a seven mile bike ride. But this year, because of the social distancing with, with the COVID and the pandemic stuff, I decided that I'm going to attempt to do an Everest challenge and ride up one of the local climbs here until I get to the magic 29,029 feet and try to get people to make donate like as much as I can to get them to donate money for, for youth activities at the Y. So that's gonna happen in the next week or two.
1: So do you have the climb? You don't have to tell me if you're keeping things sort of semi-secret, but if you do have a specific climb in mind, how what's the math come out? How many times are you gonna to need to go up and down this climb to get the the elevation gain? Uh sixty. Sixty times. Holy moly.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh there there's like there's a there's another climb that's that would take maybe 20 something tr- trips up but or or maybe like 18 trips but it's not steep enough where i could maximize the the downhill part so i figured I, i'd do a shorter steeper climb where i could go up and down up and down and get it over with and it's off of off of the grid so there's very little automobile traffic which Oh, that's good. Be beneficial to me as far as yeah, not having to stop for lights, not getting blocked in by other cyclists who may or may not be on the road that day.
1: So, if people want to follow along and um, participate remotely, is supporting you and cheering you on and making donations is the best place to follow you on your Instagram account or is our website?
0: Uh, yeah i i have a have a thing set up on. PledgeRedge.com. Okay. So it's www.pledgeRedge.com forward slash ride for the future. But there's a a dot or like a dash between every word. Ride okay. for the future. And then uh people can donate whatever amount they they feel comfortable with. And it's it's a 501 3C tax deductible charity. So because all the money just goes to the kids. And I don't, I don't get anything out of it. Right on. Except a huge appetite.
1: Except a huge appetite. You earn your pizza and then some. Um, okay, something else I want to ask you about because I just went and checked out that website while you're talking is this other thing I've seen you talk a lot about on Instagram, which is the not so friendly laps. And for someone who doesn't live in New York and has no concept of what the heck this is, what what is lapse? Uh, not so friendly laps?
0: Not so friendly laps is a grassroots event that I put on in prospect park um i've I've done a couple in Central park, but mostly it's it's Prospect Park. The loop in Prospect Park is three point three miles, and I would do it like one night a week for for like a month and I'd have people come out everyone show up I'd do maybe eight laps for the for the men, maybe six or seven laps for the women and just send them off. It's, it's a way to get people into competitive cycling, but without as much um, as much difficulty as doing like the official USA cycling okay. uh, races. Cause those can be pretty intimidating. Yeah. And then people, yeah. people don't need a license to do mine. Okay. But, but the, uh, but I, I do three of them. I do one in February and it's usually still cold. I'll do one in July when the weather's good and the you know and the, the temperature's warm. And then I'll do another one in uh late September, October so that if anybody wanted to race cyclocross, they would have some kind of speed workout in the middle of the week that they could transfer over. Sure. Um the February series even though I, people suffer through the the cold Whoever wins that series or gets like the most points, um, the, the top woman and, and male rider, they, they get money to get a USA cycling license.
1: And that raises a really good question about our sport in general. And you and I found our way into the sport and I suspect that we both had our own share of trepidations and, um, nervous butterflies. I know I sure did as a new cyclist, I did find the sport intimidating, but I was intrigued enough by it that I was willing to do what it took to figure it out. Um, How do we get more people into our sport without it being so intimidating? Obviously, your event is a great start, but what advice would you give to other people that would help them just give it a whirl?
0: Uh, It's tough because cycling is also an expensive sport. It is. So you have to do – you have to get all the – equipment you have to get all the the nutritional stuff you have to get all the clothing you have to get the pedals and the the shoes so that that's a hurdle right there just to get people on the bike and at the event um when i was in philadelphia it was even more of a hurdle because nobody wanted to promote events Uh. so everything was like 20 to to 100 miles away and not having a car was just made getting into cycling a lot more difficult sir sure. uh, here in New York it's easier because uh c r c a century road club they they put on events in Prospect park and central Park uh they also do another one at south Brooklyn, floyd Bennett field so that that helps just you know being in such a major metropolitan area that uh, they can put on events and people can participate. But for other places, it's it's a challenge to get people to to consistently show up to events
1: when right. everything
0: is scattered so far in, in the in the four directions. So with me putting on an event, it enables uh, the the beginner riders to participate. And my thing is not like specifically or exclusively road bike, so people will show up with a road bike or track bike. Um, The course is kind of rolling and the finish is on a hill. So no one has a distinct advantage over anyone else um, on the course because of choosing a a track bike versus a road bike. Sure. So it gets people out regardless of what kind of bike they have. Just like as long as you can go fast and, and ride safely, just come on out and, just have fun and participate.
1: And you shared earlier that you really got yourself into cycling. There wasn't any specific role model or person in your family or person in your neighborhood that, you know, introduced you or, or really helped facilitate. It sounds like you were kind of a student of the sport on your own and a lot of self study. Um, and obviously New York is a city where, you know, diversity is, is, is part and parcel of New York. I mean, it's part of its lifeblood here in Colorado. I know that our cycling scene lacks diversity badly. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or ideas about how we do try to overcome the hurdles that have pretty consistently made the sport. So diversity lacking, um, any ideas from either a bike racer perspective or from a promoter perspective?
0: Uh, yeah, I, th- I think, like, the, the expense is, like, the, the hardest part because here in New York and and you can see people all across, like, every kind of spectrum getting involved and loving cycling. Um, there's, um, there's a big race coming up soon. Um, Nelson Vale is going to do, like, a promotional event before it. It's uh, the Harlem Skyscraper Criterium, um, and that has, like, a diverse field of, like, everybody – um, black, white, Asian, um, Hispanic, everything, everybody comes out. Everybody has a good time. Um, the what slows people down is is the expense, and um, that's 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 pretty much it in a nutshell is the expense. Because once people get on the bike and they have a bike, then they're off to the races, and, sold and it's more on. fun. Yeah, yeah,
1: it is. Uh... It's definitely a sport that's difficult not to fall in love with. Um, And I know that there are several youth programs that are here, and I'm sure out there as well, that try to overcome the expense obstacle with uh, loaner bikes and scholarships and ways for younger athletes to get involved, which is great. We definitely want to bring up our youth in the sport and have that be um, a really a really healthy and open and welcoming place for the diversity that you alluded to where I haven't seen really are opportunities like that for adults, for people that are your age and my age who suddenly decide they want to check out cycling and don't have resources to help them with the expense obstacle of it. And I continue to be frustrated by that because I think the sport, um, it's something that everyone should have the opportunity to enjoy.
0: Yeah, I think with with me doing the uh, the Ride for the Future charity event, like that's that's one way um, that I try to bring in. It, it's 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 tough for me to try and figure out like how to bring in more adults outside of putting on the not so friendly laps. Sure. But with the the charity event, like that's getting kids somehow involved. And then when I put on the not so friendly, I, I charge like a nominal, you know, a couple bucks if everybody shows up. And then I've been donating a bunch of that money over to the Star Trek Cycling uh, Club. It's a junior racing team out at the Cosanti Velodrome. So perfect. Um, That's yeah, great. and it's it's easier because parents they got they got a, a ton of work to do because mm-hmm. they got to work to pay for the kids and and all their stuff. So anything that helps them out is 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 always um, enthusiastically appreciated. Sure. So, um so getting kids involved that's that's where where i've been my focus so after that um adults they have to i guess be patient and get into the the gravel events which are competitive in a way like if you're fit but if you're not you still have a great time because you're out there with like other people who enjoy the the sport just for the exercise and camaraderie that's right for the enjoyment sake of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I always tell people I'm like, yeah, just, just come on out and do do some gravel events.
1: Yeah. They're super welcoming on the whole and, um, far less intimidating than a bike race, a a per se bike race, uh, like a road event or even a triathlon for that matter. I think gravel really is the future right now, at least for sure. And seems to really be opening up new interests among cyclists that maybe had decided that road cycling was not a good fit for them. Um, And hearing you, oh, go
0: ahead. Yeah, the thing about the the gravel cycling is that because the events are so long, everyone spreads out and rides at their own pace. With road cycling, everyone is tightly knit in, in a peloton. And the likelihood of a crash is a lot higher. So that's, that's, a, that's one thing that, that makes gravel a little bit nicer than cycling absolutely, than, than road cycling safer,
1: safer and more enjoyable, prettier scenery. You know, you and I've been riding through Kansas and Nebraska at some of the races that we talked about earlier and seeing things we wouldn't normally see, certainly from our car, things that we would miss. And just that small town vibe, which is, you know, sort of the, the heart of
0: America kind of feel. Um, yeah, and every, every race has its own unique characteristics Um, let's see, like, I think there's the ones up in Vermont, like you can get the the maple syrup at, at the, at the checkpoints. Um, my one friend, Pat Engelman, he puts on the Lulaco Waiko event in Pennsylvania. That one, I I love that one. And I think somewhere around like 60 or 70 miles into it, he has this one checkpoint. It's a taco stand and it's, it's a taco stop and it's, it's it's probably like one of the greatest Checkpoints of every travel like I've ever done, but it's it's at the top of a climb, so you're just like this is killing me. And then there's a tent, and there's tacos, and it's got oh, like all shit. the fixings. Oh,
1: it's the yeah. little things. It's really the little things that make us enjoy and savor these events the most,
0: isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and it's you know like at at a at a road event, it never happens. It's just no. like you come, you get you get like a like a bar, like some like a powdered drink mix, yep. and it does, it's, you know, it's, yes, it's good for you. It promotes, like, uh, optimal performance and all that stuff, but, you know, like, you go to the Gravel Worlds, and you get um, the Rhinecourt Farm. They make the pickles themselves. That's right. You know, like, there, there's there's the love from the community that go into making each of these events special, so. Yeah,
1: you feel a lot more connected to the local city and the folks that live there, which is really amazing
0: yeah so that's that's how to get that's how to get uh like the adult segment into into cycling is to get them into the gravel events because they have to go out and have to ride like 100 miles or or more just to just to be able to finish the thing so they they'll they'll earn their uh their treats when they get to every checkpoint that's
1: true you know and hearing you talk so powerfully and so um emotionally about your cycling experiences, Corey, what is it about the bike that you love so much? I mean, why is it the central part of your life?
0: It's, it, there's like a, there's like a sense of freedom and um, I, what's, what is it about it? It's, it, it? There's always something new and exciting. That's always going to happen on every ride. You're going to see like a friend, you're going to see something that you've never seen before. You're going to go someplace you never have been before, or you're going to encounter some kind of horrible problem that's going to make you reach deep down inside of yourself to survive it, to overcome it and make it turn it back into like a good day and a a good ride.
1: And that's a microcosm of life, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's pretty much the human experience. Is Yeah, man. Sometimes this is just going to suck.
0: And like, like, yeah, like the, like I was saying earlier about that one, the the gravel world championship that I got to the start line and I I thought I was going to win. I was, I was fit. I did, I was doing 200 miles a day leading up to it. And I'm like, this is, this is mine. I'm going to win it. I'm going to take it all. And then right at the start line, my bike broke. So I just made the most of it. And Mm. I still had a good, somebody else won for the single speed, but you know, I still, I still gave it my all. And, and that's, that's all cycling is. You you just give it your all and just put everything into it. And I think that's, that's the best way to be about life in general is just do what you can.
1: Boy, if
0: that isn't words of
1: wisdom, I don't know what is. Yeah. Put one foot in front of the other and figure it out as you go and try to be a good human along the way and meet as many new people as possible. Um, I'm curious. We haven't talked much about your life outside of cycling, but what does Corey listen to and read? And what what is what what do you do on the side when you're not on your bike? If,
0: that, uh, if that's a thing. <laughs> hmm. Sleep and eat, I guess. Sleep and eat, um, when we get
1: ready for the next ride.
0: Yeah. Or like, yeah. When I used to race road, I well, I guess I used to sit around and watch like bike race videos, but. Um, now there's, they're on YouTube, so I will watch those. Sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's 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 it. Oh, and then and then maybe maybe do yoga. Okay. Or uh, when when the gym opens back up again, uh, do laps at the pool.
1: Oh, right on. Good cross training.
0: Yeah, it's it's not it's not so much for the training aspect; It's just for the more. It's a it's a way of not being on the bike, but still being active and. Sure. I can relax and just listen to the bubbles. It's yeah. Very calming.
1: Yeah. That that uh, sensory deprivation that you get in the pool where the ears are quiet um, is really something. I, I share the same experience where the mind can do some amazing work in those laps.
0: Yeah. Because after like uh, so many years of riding through traffic, dodging trucks and, and cabs, sometimes getting hit by trucks and cabs, but... Um, I like the exercise, but sometimes I just want to get off the bike and avoid all that trauma of like, am I going to make it this trip or am I going to get, um, is this going to be the the big one when I get run over and splattered by a truck? Yeah. So yeah, the the pool pool offers that break from all that stimulation, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: So what's, um, let's close out with something, you know, what's really on, what's got you fired up these days? What, uh. You know, did you just read an amazing book or watch a uh, movie or a, listen to a podcast lately that really inspired you? Or, you know, what's what's really fueling you these days?
0: Uh, I don't know. I'm like, I'm, I'm fascinated with everything. So like the littlest thing could just I'm like, oh, wow, I love this, this is the, the best thing. Um, like a friend of mine told me about this, this one show on Netflix, it was um, Midnight Gospel and it was it was kind of like really trippy in a way and it had all these like weird colors but the guy the, the main character Clancy he just goes around the universe and he has these heavy heavy in-depth conversations with one character in the in each of the episodes but as he's given the interview they're all doing like some bizarre stuff and they're actively involved in the world but they're still having a conversation about this one subject matter this one theme. So I kind of like think about heady thoughts like that Okay. because you know, it's 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 what happens when you do like 100 200 mile bike rides. Right. You have a lot of time to just <laughs> contemplate like all the little things and the big things in life.
1: But isn't that something that you I, 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 well, let me start over. I feel like that's something that most of our culture and society needs more of. I feel like we rush into that heady, silent space on our bike with some real desire to do the work that's going on inside our heads and our hearts. And I feel like society in general is trying to stay busy enough and to stay overwhelmed enough that they don't ever have to deal with those moments in their head.
0: Yeah, it's it's a lot of keeping busy, keeping occupied, doing this thing, doing that thing, doing the other thing. But when you do more like ultra endurance events, you're out there for hours and hours and the little, you know, the little things, you know, get absorbed in your mind easily. And you you can figure out a solution for that one. But the bigger, more uh, soul driving questions and like meaning of life kind of stuff, you you figure that one out. Cause you know, you're, you're four or five hours into it and you're like, well, Hmm, what about this? What about that? right and, Yeah.
1: I, I want that for everyone. I, if no other reason to get people into cycling and the long distance gravel cycling, it's, it's that I want people to love bikes, of course, but I also would want that, that gift of that unscheduled time, um, to really dig into what's going on inside themselves. Cause I do think that's for me as well, that's been one of the biggest gifts of these long distance gravel rides is the work that I do on myself during those rides.
0: I think, uh, I think the best way to describe it is just for, just for the hell of it. A few years ago, I did a ride from New York to Montreal and I did it in two days solo, um, somewhere just South of Albany. I saw some guy on his bike and I just looked at him and he went by the other way and I kept going. I stopped off at a gas station a few miles up the road. He pulled up to me and I was I was out of it cuz I was maybe like 130 miles into it. And he's like, "Well, if you do all these long rides, like have you learned any universal truths about yourself or like about anything?" Oh. And I and I was like, I, I, "I don't know. I'm just riding." Yeah. And I'm, I'm like low blood sugar and dehydrated. <laughs> And I got back on my bike and kept riding and then wound up hallucinating because I didn't have enough water and food in my system. Right. But then the next day I went went and kept riding um, and continued on to Montreal. I had to meet some people at the border, and the second day it was like 240 miles. Um, it was It was like really crazy, but all I knew was somewhere along the way I came up on this mountain and I was like, Oh yep, yeah, that's a mountain and then I realized the the truth that I probably could have told the dude the day before but I didn't know because I didn't push myself beyond my limit and the thing that I learned is that you always have to have a positive mindset because if you don't have that positive mindset, everything's gonna be difficult, everything's gonna be a challenge. you don't, you're You're going to be able to do more things if you have that, you know, just deal with it, accept it if you don't like it. And if you do, you know, you can you can progress further.
1: Sounds to me like that has served you pretty well.
0: Yeah, because if I if I started griping and complaining about the mountain, I never would have I barely would have got over that one. And then I would probably been stuck at the next several mountains that I didn't even know were there beyond the first one.
1: And instead, you
0: just kept overcoming them, and just keep your head down and just keep plugging away, and eventually you'll get it done, or you'll you'll get to your destination. Hmm. But you got to have a positive mindset about it, and and that's 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 sometimes difficult to do, but you got to have a positive mindset or be patient about stuff when things aren't always going your way.
1: I like it. I feel like there's a book in here that needs to be written by Corey, the Courier.
0: <laughs> Maybe it'll, I, it'll happen.
1: I would read it. I would read it for sure. Hey, I got to ask you um, when I was looking up the, the, the uh, fundraising ride you did, or you mentioned earlier, and it took me to your uh, LinkedIn. Uh, your description is the world's most legendary bicycle messenger. Can I just tell you how much I love that, that, that that's what you call yourself. That's fantastic.
0: Oh, it's true.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I love that even
0: it's, more. <laughs> it's, it's it's not hype. It's it's true, um, it, and, and this goes back to like yeah, Corey's being cocky again. But like, no, it's it's true. Like, I love like, it. So, all right, everybody knows about bike messenger stuff and like the movie Premium Rush. Yep. But there's the one guy in the movie who is kind of cocky and obnoxious, and you know, have you seen these thighs? Right. Um, the the movie was filmed in New York. So by uh, this time, like all the New York people, like that rode bikes that were messengers. They were all extras and and played parts in it. And when the movie came out, they were like, "Wait, who wrote this script? Like, this is definitely Corey. Like, how did how did you come up with this character?" And I was like, "I was like, oh, yep, that's me." Oh, wow. So there's that one, and then there's the the creating the the bike polo rule that now everybody on the planet uses. I see. Um, In the year 2000, the World Bike Messenger Championship was supposed to be in Boston. But because of an incident where a bike messenger hit a city council person or their family member, something like that, the Bike Messenger Association up there couldn't get the permits. But because I had been promoting USA cycling events in Philadelphia and getting road closure, um I was asked to promote the CMWC. Which um, is the Cycle Messenger World Championship.
1: Okay, okay, thanks.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um as it stands, every time this the world Champion cycle messenger world championships goes to a different city, um each city puts in a bid kind of like the same way people do for the Olympics and people do all this you know, paperwork and like please vote for my city, please vote for my city, my country, all this other stuff. I'm the only person that's been asked to promote the CMWC and successfully got it done.
1: That's impressive, my friend.
0: Yeah, okay. I I got uh I got the, the, the park closed down for I think three days, three consecutive days, which was uh pretty unheard of. So, yeah, there was that one um what's the other other crazy yeah the the um oh and then the the world championship with the fixed gear thing um when I moved to New York, the other crazy part was I still had the courier company going in Philadelphia, and I was dispatching to riders where to go what to do in Philadelphia while I was working four courier company in new york riding up and down all the avenues oh
1: my gosh that's multitasking to the extreme
0: yeah so i so i'd be answering the phone and dealing with clients um, and doing paperwork and billing and payroll on the weekends and the company that i worked for up here kind of thought i was just like a like a slacker because i would i wouldn't come in super early like everybody else i would come in on my own my own schedule and they're like oh dude like what going on. And some guy thought he was gonna do me in and, and get me fired and he told the boss, he's like, Yeah, Corey has his own career company in Philadelphia. Oh no. <laughs> but by this time like it like I I think I it was like maybe a month or two after and, that, and I had already shut it down. And I was like, Yeah, I I was like this it's a it's in a whole other city in another state that has no bearing on what's going on in New York. And the the look on their face was priceless. They were stunned like everything that they thought that they knew about me was completely wrong. <laughs> They're like, wait, what you have, you have clients and, and and riders working for you. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All that. So I'm like, pretty much I do what every, I do all of your jobs, like what all of you are doing, sitting down at your desk. I do that from the saddle while I'm riding my bike <laughs> oh
1: my gosh yeah so i I
0: did that i did that for a year of uh, madness
1: (laughs) dude i bet that fried a few brain cells that sounds like stress
0: to the extreme yeah there were there were a couple moments where i would be on the bike and i'd encounter a street that had the same name as another street in philadelphia and my brain would short-circuit, and I would stop, and I couldn't move. And I, I'm like, where am I? What am I doing? Like, the the spatial awareness part of my brain just, like, seized. Oh, my gosh.
1: You just pull over and take a few deep breaths, or so you just motor through, just power through?
0: No. I, had, I really had to stop, and I, I remember I had to call up uh, the dispatcher, Terry, in New York. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm having a Philadelphia moment. I'm like, <laughs> I, I I can't move. <laughs> I'm having a Philadelphia moment. Like I was like, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't know where I am. I don't know what to do. Exactly. <laughs> oh
1: no, you're an impressive. You are an impressive human, Corey. I'm so thankful for this opportunity to get to learn even more about you than uh, than I knew from our bike race um, encounters. So, thanks for sharing all of this. This has really been fun for me and super inspiring too. I, I really appreciate all that you do and stand for in the cycling community. So thanks for that.
0: Uh, thanks for having me. I enjoyed being here.
1: Heck yeah. We will include links to your Everesting fundraising uh, website that you mentioned earlier. And I'll also include a link to your Instagram account. It is at Corey, the career, and that's spelled C-O-R-E-Y, correct? Yes. C-O-R-E-Y, the career. And uh, I look forward to watching more and more of your, successes. I can't wait to celebrate your ever resting success with you. So um, cheers ahead of time to what will no doubt be another knot in your belt, another success.
0: Yep. Yeah, you know, now that there is no bike racing, I have to find another way to shine. And, and this is going to be it.
1: I like it. Well, and there's nothing wrong with doing it for a good cause. So I wish you all the best in your fundraising goals too.
0: Thanks so much. Thanks,
1: Corey. Have a great night.
0: All right, you too.
1: Bye. Okay. Thank you for listening to Maximum Enthusiasm with Megan Hopman. Subscribe, check out our blog, and learn more at MaximumEnthusiasm.com.